Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty twenty. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Proverbs twenty two six. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty three twenty two, Listen to your father who gave life to you, and do not despise your mother when she's old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself Bring shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest, and he will delight in your heart. So we're in Proverbs. Let's turn there in our study. Uh, Pastor intern Chris had read some scripture for us. Our title has been Proverbs, God's Wisdom for Gospel Living. Um, started back in June, ends today. Ends today. So we've looked through all through the summer, different themes and topics. We kind of jumped in looking at an introduction to Proverbs, uh, looking at what wisdom is. We looked at the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We looked at different themes like wisdom and foolishness. We looked at anger, the sluggard, the use of words, friends, pride, all these work, money, marriage, sexual fulfillment last week. Um, So all these kind of themes that we find in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to finish today by talking about raising children, okay? Now, it's important to remember, particularly today, although it should be every week we look at Proverbs, that we recognize that the word proverb, mishal, in the Hebrew means similitude, a likeness. It's a collection of, of, of important sayings of men of faith, sages, wise men, of the way things usually work, their truisms, axioms, their principles. They're not guaranteed foolproof promises. That's not what the genre of Proverbs is. It is pithy statements that generally speak of truth, but ultimately, in eternity, they will all be true. But these things are not foolproof promises. And that's important as we look to Proverbs to see what it says about our children. All right? We want to keep that in mind. All right? How many bad theologians or kind of naive parents say to you when you have a child that's a little wayward as they're growing up and they say, you know what, train a child in a way he should go and when they grow old, they won't depart from you. That child will come back. And you're thinking, well, is that really what it means? I raised these children in the same home, heard the same gospel. One of them loves Jesus, walks with Jesus. The other one is just in a really dark place. Is that a promise? Did God forget his promise? Did God somehow uh, falter in his promise to us? No, he never made that promise. It's a truism. It's axiom. It's not a foolproof promise. It is, it is not a guarantee, but it is generally the way things go. So we're going to look to God's word on the subject of raising children, giving us principles that we are to follow according to scripture. Now, I read this week and kind of sums up maybe how you feel as a parent. This, this is an interesting quote. Someone once said this, I once had no children and six theories on child raising. Now I have six children and no theories on child raising. (laughs) Right? It takes a lot of work and energy and things change. There's trials and errors. Right? And let's be honest right up front. I'm going to talk a little bit. I am not, I, I, one thing I don't do is I don't try to bring my family into this. I'll talk more about me. So I'm not going to bring any one of my kids into this. I might mention some here and there. You're going to have to pick out of the four daughters which one I'm talking about because I'm not going to tell you. But let me say right up front, right? There's no perfect parents. Okay? No perfect parents. All right? We can go home now. I'll just pray and let you go. No. And no one in this room, when we talk about parenting, is totally objective, kind of has no emotional response. We all love our kids. We all think we know what's best for them. We have strong opinions about raising children. And let's admit that every child is different. 
Every parent is different. And there are different parenting styles that we use. But with that said, God is not silent on the matter of child raising. Now, we cannot be so caught up in the psychologists and the counselors of our day and neglect the clear teaching of Scripture. The Bible has final authority on all things of faith and practice. So yes, we can take things out of context, and yes, we can emphasize certain aspects of child raising and not others, but my hope today is to give us some principles, some basic principles about raising children. What does Proverbs have to say about raising children? Now, if you remember back when we first started, Proverbs is written to the son, the king's son, the the children, the leaders of Israel, men who would need wisdom in order to live life rightly. So it is a book about raising children, okay? Just because we have children, maybe we have a multiple amount of children, doesn't make us smarter every time we have children, right? Amen. Sometimes we're like, you know what? Just because I have six kids or four kids or three kids doesn't make me an expert. But what does God's word say about it? Let me, let me, let, let me confess right up front that I am no expert. And as some of what I do know, I have not always practiced as I should. I know they say misery loves company, but I just want to point out that Solomon, the wisest man in the world, raised a wicked son. Okay? I'm not saying, hey, let's follow his example. I'm just saying there's no perfect parent. I'm not one. I want to be very careful about it, but I want to look at Scripture, and I want to see what it says about raising children under three headings today. Okay? Three headings. First, the balance. Oh, there's First John coming up. I forgot about that. Well, that, we already know about that. All right? So let's look. We're going to talk about the balance. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, some of you know me by now already. I'm just going to tell you like it is. We're going to talk about the balance on what to think about our children spiritually. Where are we in the mix of raising children who love Jesus? Then we're going to talk about the bent. We're going to talk about the propensity of your child, what's going on in his heart. And number three, we're going to talk about three basic things that I... You know, I could have chose 100. I could be here for three hours. We, could, we can do this for six Sundays. But I just want to talk about three basic things about raising children, okay? And that, just in case you're wondering, that's discipline, authority, and the rod. The three things that are, that are thematic in the book of Proverbs. So the first thing is the balance, okay? I believe Proverbs and all the Scripture teaches us that there are two extremes that parents are to avoid, okay? One is that you as a parent, you as one raising a child, are entirely responsible for the spiritual life of your children. Let's be honest. Again, as a parent, we're going to get into this later. We could prepare a fire around our child's heart, and we ought to. Some hay, some kindling. We want, we want to put, pour some gasoline, if we can, on your child's spiritual heart. But only God by his sovereign grace, can light the fire, okay? Now, we can add stuff like, you know, reading scripture as we ought to with them, have regular devotions with them as we ought to do, teaching them how to worship, share the gospel with them regularly, looking for moments of gospel reality, gospel truth, pointing out gospel, you know, in their life and in in culture, in movies. We could do all that, okay? We can do, and we need to do that, but... Only God can give your child life. Only your child can light the fire of your child's heart. You yourselves cannot give them spiritual life. That's the work of God. So if your children have grown up and now they're walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, don't hurt yourself by patting yourself on the back of what a great parent you were. Okay? Because only God gave them life by the grace, by His grace, right? Now, we need to deal with the reality that sometimes, as much as this hurts, Proverbs teaches us that no matter how much, there are occasions where no matter what you teach, it's painfully possible that your child and you're raising that child will become a fool and bring shame to the family. Proverbs 10.1. This wouldn't be here if that weren't true. A wise son makes glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. 
Proverbs 13.1, a wise man, excuse me, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. If we believe that the ultimate responsibility of our child's spiritual life is on our shoulders, I'll tell you, it can easily warp and twist the parenting process. It becomes all you. The other extreme is passivity. We throw up our hands and decide, you know what, we have no responsibility for the spiritual life of our children. This is a complete disregard of the biblical instruction to raise our kids in the fear of the Lord. Okay? It says in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're going to talk about that later, but that's what it says for the moment. Now, understand that verse. The imperative in that verse, the command in that verse, is not the way the child turns out. It's the idea of and the command for the parents to do the training. That's what the verse is saying. Train your child, discipline your child, work with your child, show your child, teach your child in the way he should go. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline jars it from him. Early on, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 6 5, Moses, writing the five books of, of the Torah, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, Moses, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk with them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and they shall be uh, as fontlets, that's, that's uh, 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 something over your head, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, so as parents, we have to find the balance between these two extremes. The Bible is clear. As parents, we can't save our children. We need to share with them the word. We can teach them to worship through music, through prayer, through serving. And quite frankly, as being a good example. Confession, repentance of sin, walking humbly before our children. Apostle Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Are, are you that parent? Are you, are you st- not walk perfectly, but are you... Living an example to them. The, the emphasis of Proverbs is that it is not the parent who is ultimately responsible. Ultimately, final, that's it. Responsible for the character of the child, particularly as he gets older. The foolish child, the Bible says in Proverbs, has chosen to pursue life along the path of folly. The penalty that he bears, he deserves. In fact, in chapter 1 of of, of Proverbs, both mom and dad have taught their son the two paths of life, and they warn the son, and they say, don't go that way. Chapter 1, verse 29. Let me see if I have that. I don't know if I have that one. Let me read it to you. Chapter 1, verse 29. This is the mom and dad teaching the son. Because they hated knowledge, chapter 1, verse 29, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and they fill of their own devices. So mom and dad, yes, I have a responsibility that I have to follow in command of Jesus. But ultimately, Ezekiel 18, the soul who sins shall die, the soul who turns and will live. Ultimately, our children and are responsible before the Lord. Some of you need to hear that today. Your children are grown, they're old, they're on their own, and we are stressing out and trying to play God. Pray for them. Love them. Train them as much as you can or coach them in that age of life. But ultimately, the responsibility belongs to God. Do you need to repent, maybe? Go ahead and repent and receive forgiveness. All parents need to have said, you know, I've done this wrong, I've done that wrong. Every parent. But ultimately... We leave them to God. Why is that so important? Look at the bent of a child. We need to train, reprove, and correct our kids because they're your kids. And, and, and I'm not saying that simply it's your responsibility. That's what God has called you to do, to, 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 to you know, take responsibility over your child. I'm not saying that. That's true, though. <laughs> but they're yours. They're mine. So my kids are hard-headed like me. 
Like, if they were here, they'd be cracking up right now. Hard-hearted, they're, 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 they're born in my likeness, in my image. In other words, and if you're new here and you're not a Christian, you're not going to understand this, but children are sinners. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you know what sin is. That's easy to see. They're little selfish little things just like you. They don't like to play. They don't like to share just like you, just like me. You're like, oh, that's not really that far. I see that in them because I see it in me. One of my poor kids, and I I don't say it out loud because some of you know him, but one is so much like me, I feel like, I feel terrible about it. (laughs) Right? We don't have to go very far to look even in the Word uh, to see in the history of all mankind that the Bible teaches that that man is born with a bent, with a propensity to sin goes back to Genesis 3 when man and Adam and Eve sinned against God, rebelled against him. In fact, what's interesting in Genesis, right after Genesis 3, you have 1 and 2, creation, the Imago Dei made the image and likeness of God. Adam and Eve made him and her. You know what I mean? You know the story. In Genesis 5, do I have it there? Yeah, Genesis 5. This is what it says. We covered this. We went through the book of Genesis verse by verse. But this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. That's the Imago Dei in Latin for the image and likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. That comes right from Genesis uh, 1 and 2. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Cool. Look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his image and named him Seth. So right after Moses reaffirms the fact that mankind bears the image of its creator, we find in verse 3 that the image, while still present, but yet is distorted. That's why Moses points out that Adam had a son in his own image. It doesn't mean we lose dignity and value and worth being created in the Imago Dei, but it means it's been distorted, it's been twisted. All people, after Adam's likeness, are born with the death penalty on their heads. Corrupted heart. There's been a fracture in their condition. I I, I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to be honest. I know you love your children. I love my children too. But no child is born morally neutral. If you've been told that, that is not true. Every person's entered the world as a child of Adam with a sin nature that starts immediately and does so without any encouragement on your part. Psalm 51.5, surely I have been sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered through the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. The natural self is destructive and unrighteous. Again, it doesn't mean, I'm not saying that our children or you for that matter are invaluable with dignity and worthy of love. I'm not saying that. I realize these verses come from Genesis, but Proverbs is, is entering into the raising of children and the raising of, of sons and daughters with this idea. That's why Psalm 29:15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. It's not getting it on their own. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself New American Standard gets his own way, brings shame to his mother. Why? Because a child who's left to himself, an adult who's left to himself, who's only allowed to go his own way, will exhibit, express, and experience his life in a natural way that will choose folly over wisdom and bring shame. Is that going to happen every single time when a child is left to his way? It's a general rule. I stand before you as an exception to that truth, to that rule, I should say. My sweet mom, raising five children on her own, working every day, weekends, school at night, trying to, you know, kind of left me to my own ways of destruction. And let me tell you, I was on my way to destruction. But then God snatched me. Snatched me from the depths of destruction by sheer grace. Okay, and rescued me from me. But the responsibility before us as a parent is to train a child in the ways of God. That proverb speaks about, must take an account. 
you have to, you have to as a parent, even as a grandparent, you have to as a parent have this first and foremost in your mind if you're going to train them, that, that adorable, cute, sweet, lovable child has a leaning propensity to sin. Left to him or herself, right? They'll only become more talented into, in rebelling. Now, the parental process involves dealing with sin in the life of the child. Laboring to turn the child from his natural cross of rebellion and sin to the fear of the Lord, the loving Jesus. Now, kids are different, right? Temperamentally, they're different. We're going to talk about that in a minute, right? Some are more calm, more gracious, just seem to go with the flow. Some childs come out, they're more demon-like and rebellious than you ever see. But all children, all people are born with a nature that is rebellion and brokenness. And all of them need to yield their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, most parents fit into two categories, at least that I could see. One is the disciplinarian, you know, you know control behavior, do as I do, and you're doing it now. Or some of them are leaning more towards like love and affirmation, building up, uh, let them self-express themselves. And every parent in this room thinks you have a perfect balance of both, right? Don't you? You don't. But, you know, you could just think that for a moment. You don't. Either do I, okay? But, you know, we, we're like, you know, do as you do or pour out. The Proverbs has to do with training your child, teaching them Right and wrong, how to be wise, what does it mean to be unwise? That's the purpose of Proverbs, to make your children wise. And we said Proverbs is about wisdom, and wisdom is what? Loving, treasuring, declaring the gospel, walking with Christ, right? Not just control them, and not just affirm them, but to make them wise. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The main job of the parent here, it seems in Proverbs, is to teach your child what is good and right, wise and unwise. And look at it says right here and in Proverbs 1.8, it's a job of both parents, mom and dad to teach, to train, to love, and discipline their children's. Okay, Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. So, if we have a mom and dad who are fair and firm and have an articulate understanding of what's right and wrong, they're walking with the Lord, they know and they hold to truth, right? And, 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 and they get to the point of saying, you know what? I'm not buying it. That's great for you. I'm older now. I'm going my way. There's no malpractice there. You can't change that. You can't change that. What warrants malpractice, if we can use that term in parenting, is we just say, you know what? The little guy, he's just, he's just confused. Um, he just needs to express himself and go his way. Whatever he wants, he or she gets Right? There's no real consistency. There's no right or wrong. Everything changes like the wind. Their constant attitude is you're more of a problem, a nuisance. There's no love. There's no affection. There's no training. There's no discipline. It's just leave him for himself. That's a problem. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Okay? So, they're adorable. Love them. Precious gift. Wonderful. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. If you can't see that and you got children, talk to me later. I can point it out to you. Not a problem. <laughs> you know, so we got we to figure out, okay. So there is this balance I must approach. And I'm not totally responsible. I need to lean on the Lord. I need to gather the principles of Scripture, teach my child, love my child, discipline my child, we're going to talk about. And yet there's this basic, uh, this bent towards sin, and that's what the problem is. I can't just close my eyes and make believe this doesn't exist. And then let's talk about three things now. If we got that in our minds, um, three things I want to talk to you about in Proverbs as we talk about the, the dealing with this bent of a child and teaching them the right way. Three things. One is discipline, two is authority, and three is, is the rod. Now, the word discipline in Scripture, masur, is a combination of instruction, uh, correction, reprove, and chastisement, okay? 
It is a word used in chapter 3, verse 11. I got it up on the screen. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, correction, chastisement. Don't be weary of his reproof. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It means to bring a child under control or to quell this, this waywardness and this rebellion and folly of a child. When a child runs away from, uh, uh, from you and the, your rule and your authority, our job as parents is to bring them back, to dis- discipline them back. Same thing with you as a parent, with God our Father. Right? When, 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 when there's discipline issues, God disciplines us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to chase after sin. He doesn't want us to chase after uh, uh, temptation. So he disciplines us. So the purpose in discipline, I'll bet this right in your head, is to train for correction and maturity. To bring us, our child, we're talking about children, under the rule, under our rule as parents. Oftentimes the problem is, Parents, grandparents, whoever, raising a child, don't understand the difference between punishment for our sins and being disciplined for our sins. Punishment for our sins and discipline for our sins. Punishment for our sins has to do with God being our judge. When we're not in relationship as Father God as he is to your children, being punished for sin has to do with him being a judge. But being disciplined for our waywardness has to do with being in relationship with him. Right, so all our punishment as children of God, all the punishment for our sins was placed on Jesus. Right, the wrath of God poured out on him so that those who are in Christ, because of faith, been born of his spirit, no wrath remains, no wrath remains, no punishment for our sins remains because Jesus bore that punishment. We place our faith in the substitutional sacrifice of Jesus Christ and their forgiveness of sins. It's been punished. It's been judged on the cross. The difference between punishment and discipline is that punishment without the purpose of correction is about retribution. Okay? Punishment's about retribution. I've had this quote before. I'm going to say it again. Pastor Ingram. He said this, The focus of punishment is always past tense. First you did this, then you did this, and now you have to pay the price. But he says, In his mercy, God wiped away all eternal spiritual implications of our past. He doesn't treat his children according to the rules of punishment. Discipline, on the other hand, is future-focused, always pointing toward future acts. It has nothing to do with retribution, everything to do with redemption, end quote. So punishment, punitive, payback, produces angry children, uh, guilt-ridden, shame and bitterness, but Discipline, training them for correction and maturity is a different story. Discipline always holds the child's best interest, not the parent's anger in the forefront of all actions. It is never out of control. The result of punishment is fear and shame, but discipline is security, is knowing that they're loved. There's a sense of, I'll always be loved. And it's a sense of, I love you, I care about you, I need to correct you. Okay? Discipline means applying appropriate consequences to encourage a child to make better choices, to be wise, to think through the processes, to understand. And it is critical. Discipline is critical for wisdom. Again, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child who obeys his parents will be wise, it says in Proverbs 13.1. A wise son hears his father's instructions, not just hearing it, doing it, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So, in order to have this disciplinary idea what discipline is and how to correct children for maturity, not punitive damage, but correction, one other word we need desperately in our time, and that is authority. Genesis 18.19. God tells Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Command his children to to do justice, to do righteousness. Ephesians 6, 
1 through 5. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go well with you, that you may live long on the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. It's a command and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this place, this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's talk for a moment about authority. Okay? Because that's what this is. This is saying, you have authority, and this is what the children should be doing, and this is what you need to be doing. So authority, according to Webster, is the power to influence or command thought, opinion, and behavior. Jesus, in the Gospel according to John, he's about to be crucified, and he tells Pilate in no uncertain terms that all authority is, comes from above, meaning that the source of authority is God himself. In John 8, Jesus states that even his own authority is derived from God the Father, and he does everything that pleases his Father. Therefore, Pilate, you have no, he tells him, you have no derived authority to crucify me if not given to you by my Father. Some of you know that passage, right? So salvation, the crucifixion, was given, that authority was given to Pilate by God the Father. Parents also have derived authority. Not ultimate, not final, not the source But they do have derived authority. You and I, as parents, discharge a duty that God has given us. It's so important for parents today to grasp this truth that you are God's agent in the task of providing essential training and instruction in the Lord that you too are under authority. You will have a clear role at that point Recognizing that that is derived authority given to me by God to take authority over my child. If a parent can grasp that, it makes a world of difference. They'll understand their role as a parent. So authority has an aim. Its source is in God. And its aim is to, for you to wield this derived authority in building the child's character and ability to know what's right and what's wrong. Now, we have to live that authority out very carefully, steward it well, with great wisdom, and serve God well. And when you shepherd your family, they use, we use our authority and obedience to God, who is the great shepherd, for the good of the sheep, the kids. Do some parents abuse their authority? Absolutely. Do some parents abdicate their authority, give it to someone else, or let the, let the courts take it, or let the, let the Sunday school take it, or let the schools take it? Yes. By allowing your children to disrespect and to mock your authority as a parent, they are actually mocking God. Here's a, here's a question that I think every parent needs to answer. Do parents have the right to make their children obey what they say? Yes. Parents who tell a child three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times to come here to sit down and then watch their child just disobey are mocking God. Are mocking God and hurting the child. Too much authority? Absolutely. Total, you know, just leads to total chaos. But too little leads to injustice and social chaos. It's true for nations. It's true for families. And as your child gets older... Authority changes a little bit. You become more of a, of a, of a coach. Um, I get that. You become less rule-centered and more influence or principle-centered, they call it. I, I get that. But there's great difference between abdicating your authority and working through the process as your child gets older. Parents, you have the authority derived from God to make your children obey. And when they do, they're learning about faith, they're learning about God, they're learning about sin, they're learning about what's right and what's wrong. Now, I have some great resources. If you're interested, my kid is 12 or 4 or so. You know, they're, they're shepherding a child's heart. There's growing kids God's way. There's stuff from Dobson. There's a bunch of stuff out there. I'll be, just email me, depending on the age of your child. There's some really good resources. I have a great resource on teenagers. My wife and I have had teenagers in our home now for 175 years. 
Um, so we, we were like, you know, and we didn't get it all right. I'm not saying that. Please hear me say that. I'm not saying we got it all right. So you have this discipline. It's not punitive. It's corrective. You have this authority in which you need to as a parent. And then let's talk about the rod. Can't deny what the Bible says in Proverbs about the rod. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Some of you are thinking, all right, how are we going to deal with this? Well, first let me tell you what the rod is. It was usually a thin stick or a switch. It gave some physical pain with no lasting physical injury. A child should never be scarred, right? Seriously injured or cut or anything of that nature for physical correction. The Bible actually warns against parents abusing their authority and it just provokes them to anger. In ancient times, the word rod included corporal punishment. Okay, I said it. Included corporal punishment. Not always. Okay? So not every single time when we talk about the rod, it's only, you know, corporal punishment. But in the widest sense, it's about correction. It's about discipline. It's about taking authority over our children. Okay? Let me tell you right up front that I believe in and the Bible teaches corporal punishment. It does not make it mandatory. I'm not saying you have to do it. Please hear that. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm saying that as I had my small children, I believed in spanking. And I have no problem with Scripture. I've got no problem with parents who don't, as long as they correct their children, to each his own. Some of my kids got more spankings than others of my kids. Unfortunately, one like me got more because I needed it more. But I'm just saying... Does not always mean, as I said, the rod corporal punishment, but here is the real deal. Okay? Whatever method you use to correct and discipline your children, ask yourself this question How's it going? Methods may change, but the responsibility to discipline and correct your kids, getting them to obey, does not change. Whatever method you use, Okay, you are been commanded by God to take authority over children and discipline them. And here's why, that not all methods are the same. In that famous verse in 22.6 of Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most commentators and Hebrew scholars believe that what the proverb is saying there, and when it says, when he is old, excuse me, train up a child in the way he should go, has to do with the discipline and training that fits that child. So in other words, Bruce Wilkie, he's a, 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 a Hebrew scholar of Proverbs, he says this, in the his way he should go dictates the orientation of his dedication to dedicate the child according to the physical and mental abilities of the developing youth, end quote. Derek Kidner, another scholar, he says the training prescribed is literally according to the child's way, implying, it seems, respect for his individuality and vocation, his aptitude. Though not for his self-will, because he's a sinner, but the stress is on the parent, parental opportunity and duty, end quote. So here's the bottom line. As I read that passage, some children don't need and will not respond to corporal punishment. Some kids just need that strong look, like, don't do that. That's all they need. One of my, ch- one of my children, that's all it took. They're sensitive, know they were not making daddy happy. Just the look, that's all they needed. One of my other children, a little bit different. I give them that look, they give me one back. <laughs> like, oh, no, that's not going very well, Okay. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fool in Proverbs. There's several Hebrew words. There is the word petit, which means the naive. There's the word scoff, which is the Hebrew word kasil, which is someone who's dull and sensitive and it gets worse and worse. Then there's the avil. The avil in Scripture, in Proverbs, hates wisdom, can't stomach it, contempt. You know, in Proverbs 22, 15, the word folly is the word avil. The avil, the folly, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives from it. So when Proverbs talks about discipline of children has different degrees, it's not the petit, it's not the naive that needs the rod, it is the avil that Proverbs talks about. They're the ones 
Discipline only in terms of the rod is incorrect, though, as I said before, because every child is different. Some just have a cast iron bottom, you know what I mean? And they need something else. You've got to figure it out. What's, what's the best way? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to correct my child, discipline my child, that my child will obey? Just letting them go is not the answer. I heard a story once, and because I have four daughters, I thought it was great. I've got to share it with you. This guy had his teenage, brand new teen. I think he was like 12 or 13, preteen a teen. And just having struggling disciplining her. Nothing seemed to work, right? You don't want to start spanking the 13 or 14, right? A little crazy right there. But anyway, um, so he's like, ah. So in frustration, he's trying to correct his daughter. And as he's walking out of her room, he looks over and he sees the blow dryer. <laughs> and he says, you know what? You're going to lose this blow dryer for two weeks. She had a meltdown. She's like, she like, whatever you say, Dad, I'll do it. He's like, ah, hey, was that pretty ingenious? No blow dryer for a week. I mean, whatever works. She's 13. She needs a blow dryer. You're not getting it. If you don't clean your room, no blow dryer for a week. That's, that's taking her into consideration, right? That's figuring things out. Sometimes we struggle with taking authority and corrections because of the way we were raised. Some of us were raised with a heavy, heavy hand, and it was hurtful, and it was angry, and it was bitter. We struggle with disciplining our children. Some, some people were raised with just go do as you wish, and we think that's what we're going to follow, but we need to follow the Scripture, the authority of God's Word. Now, there are some people that think, and I just want to touch on this quickly and move on, that any kind of form of corporal punishment is wrong. I don't agree. I think like anything else, it can be done wrongly and for the wrong reasons. It should be never done in anger. It should be never done in frustration. But for small children, again, you don't have to do it. But for small children, I think it is an option that is biblical and right. Let me give you a couple of things as we finish up. Number one, we were taking notes for the two of you that are. Requiring obedience of children is biblical. You've got to understand that. It requires you to see the authority that God has put in your, in your hands. Parents which uh, represent God to these small children. Okay, they, 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 you want to train them up, not to ignore the commands of God, but to respect you, that they then too will respect God. Children are required to obey because it helps them through the process of obedience and faith in God. When faith comes, the obedience which they have learned from the honor and respect of their parents will become more natural or at least more understanding as they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and then walk in obedience to Him. Parents, sometimes when you get to the place and your kids are older and they lose respect and honor of you, it's too late. Repent. There's other things you can do. You've got to change direction. You've got to figure things out. Younger parents, you do yourself wise to follow the proverb that they honor and respect you as a parent. So obedience is required. Number two, settle it in your heart today. If you have small children or you plan on having kids, it's hard work. (laughs) It's hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. It's easier to say, ah, go whatever. You know what? I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. I got my life. I got my. I got all these things. Quite honestly, it's sluggish behavior. Sluggard behavior. Raising children, disciplining your kids takes time, takes energy. Now, I've done a lot of things wrong as a parent. I, I just want to be so careful when I say this because I don't want anyone to think I got it all together. I do not. But one of the things I've learned, and I'm just sharing with you is that when your child is, needs discipline, let the world around you stop. Deal with your child. That's going to teach them, wow, he really cares. He's putting everything on hold because he loves me and he wants to discipline me. Now, a four-year-old is not going to say, hey, thank you so much for taking the time out for disciplining me because I've been over here disobeying and I really was hoping, that's not going to happen, but <laughs> trust me, trust the Bible. When you take time out and say, right now, I can't, the world stops, I need to address my son, my daughter. Listen, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you do this, you're going to get that. And then follow through. The Bible talks about having the blessing of that. So it takes time. Okay, they never disobey like at, the, you know, at a good time. So you've got to take your time. Proverbs twenty three thirteen. Do not withhold 
discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, again, the authority of discipline, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Okay, number three. Requiring obedience is not the same as requiring perfection. Requiring obedience is not the same as requiring perfections. Some parents, since parents represent God to them, there has to be justice and mercy because the God you worship, the God that you love, is kind and patient towards you. Now, let's be honest, some parents who are on it, on it, on it, on it, need to say, all right, I need it on every single moment of every single waking moment that I've got to be on my God, kid. Okay, but then parents who are like, ah, let him go do what he wants, there's a balance. There's a balance. If God stroke us every time we had one bad thought, we'd all be walking around limping, okay? But there's a balance. There's a balance. Require obedience, not, not talk, we're not talking about perfection, okay? Number four, discipline is required in obedience. Listen, discipline, the requiring obedience is an expression of love. Some of you need to hear that today. It's an expression of love. Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who loves as a father the son in whom he delights. One reason parents avoid the rod, authority, and discipline is due to the misconceptions of love that you can't possibly love when you discipline. Actually, discipline is a form of love. God loves you and disciplines you. It's required in order to show love the right way. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Do you love your kids? Then we will discipline them when required. If you hate them, let them go their own way. Love seeks the best in the child. And sometimes it's served well by inflicting pains to them in the forms of discipline. Listen carefully. Your children need to know you love them. Yes. That you delight in them. And that no matter what, that you have an articulate understanding of right and wrong. What's right yesterday, what's wrong yesterday is right today and wrong today. And instilling in them that I love you enough to discipline you for holiness. I don't want to be oversimplistic as we close, but let me, let me just, as I was thinking about this process for the past couple of days, what does it mean as a parent who is clinging to, running to, absorbing and pressing in the gospel in their heart and in their life. What does, difference does that make as a parent? Just a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts to think about. Number one, as a parent, we recognize that Jesus Christ died as a punishment for our sins. The gospel teaches us that we will never ever be punished for our sins. He paid for them. And therefore, we should discipline our children like God disciplines us. Because the gospel, because of the gospel, he corrects us and disciplines us so that we would share in his holiness. It is always for our good. Now, parents aren't perfect, but that's a good, you know, thing to strive for. We should always keep that in the forefronts of our mind. Number two, we don't, we don't lose our temper. God does not lose his temper when he disciplines you. All of us have lost our temper. But let's remember the gospel, that when God corrects us, he corrects us with kindness, patience, and loving us, forgiving us as he disciplines us. That's the way we should try remembering the gospel, remembering how God receives us in the gospel, remembering that we're never going to be punished for our sins, that God is correcting us in love with kindness and patience to share in his holiness for our good and, for our good and his glory, right? The gospel is that we belong to God. We've been reconciled. We've been brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now, like a good father, he disciplines us. Some folks have never been disciplined by God or are not paying attention. Because God always disciplines those he loves. Listen to what Hebrews says. We'll close in this verse. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Listen now. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he approved by you, by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a child, as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God, in his love and mercy toward you, sent his son as an only sacrifice. His son, the father sent his son to whom he delighted in and went to the cross. And on the cross, the very intimacy of the Father and the Son was broken, and Jesus cries out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? When all our sin, all our punishment, all our judgment was poured out on Jesus. The one he delights is the one he turns his face so that you can be brought into an eternal relationship with him and have your God, our God, our Creator as Father, who loves and reproves, corrects, and disciplines us in love. To share in his holiness and for our good. So we want to call the church now to communion. There are things I'm sure I stirred up. There is always forgiveness. The bread represents his body, the cup, his blood that was shed. God does not want you to walk around in guilt and shame. He wants you to be forgiven and free. Maybe there are things you need to change. Okay. But God's love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness is for you today. So if you're a Christian, we want to invite you. The band's going to play. We're going to confess our sins, repent of our sins, and then celebrate the Lord's Supper. This table is not a Baptist table. It's not a king's table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It is Jesus' table. He invites us to come and celebrate the broken body, the shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and how we have reconciled with the Father and come into relationship with Him as Father, as Abba, as Daddy who loves us and corrects us for our good and his glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are our dad in heaven. Thank you that although we may have had earthly parents that really did more harm than good, we recognize that you are our perfect heavenly father. And we recognize, Lord, that you are always for our good. And that, Father, we love you and thank you for the way in which you take each one of us where we're at, in the, in the, in the, in the place we're at, in the, in the way in which we live, in the temperaments of our heart, and you in perfect love discipline us and chastise us because you love and care for us, Lord. Thank you for the parents that have shown us the way. Thank you for those who have shown us the gospel in our lives. But Father, ultimately we come before you. You are our God. You are our Father. And we pray, Lord, as we confess our sins, as we agree with you about our sins, that we would repent, turn from them, and then receive communion and celebrate the wonder of the forgiveness that you have offered to us in Christ. Father, may your blessing be upon us as we continue to worship, as we respond to what you have said through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.